This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen and amen. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence, an opportunity to yield our vessels, to hear from heaven. We thank you, Lord God, that everything that you'll speak to our heart today, we will receive, we will implement in our lives, and we will make acquisition of it, Father God. We're going to hold it, Lord God, and we're going to walk in everything that you teach us today in Jesus' name. And let the church say... Amen and amen. If you will go to John chapter 17, which is our foundational scripture. And we are in lesson six, I believe, in, on how to exist in these perilous times, in the end time, in these dark times. See, everything that's happening is because we are in dark times. I know we want to get all of our information from CNN and MSNBC and all of the other ones and CBS, whatever. We want to get all information. But we get all of our information from the Word of God. Everybody there. They're doing a job and they're doing journalism, but God is giving you the reality of his word. These are dark times. Amen. And I've made this statement every week that I've been here that how throughout the Bible that God has always prepared his people how to live in this, in any times, in any perilous times, in dark times, any times, in every dispensation, in every span of time, God has always instructed His people on how to live. Amen. He's taught them how, even in unprecedented times, like they are now, and like they're going to be in the future, and how dark it's going to get even, it's dark now, but it's going to get darker. But God said, I always will tell my people and show them how to live in those times. And being pastor of this church, I believe that it is my responsibility to make sure that the people of Church of the Living Water and anyone listening to me, it is my responsibility to make sure that you know how to exist, know how to live, know how to make application of your life in the Word of God, through the Word of God in these times, and our purpose to do that. Amen. Those that have been restored and those that are being restored, I need to make sure that I'm ministering to them so they won't fall back, so they won't feel like that they're without hope. We will minister how you are to live in this span of time. Here at Church of the Living Water, we are raising up a generation of people that will take this church to the next move of God. I understand where I am. I understand my role in this. I understand what's coming. I understand I won't always be pastor here, but I understand my time for this time. I understand what God is doing, but we must prepare this next generation for the next move of God. Amen. And so that they'll know how, and they will understand how that they are to stand in these perilous times, in these dark times, the dark times that are to come, things that are to come. Amen? And when we looked over in John 17, we see Jesus praying here. He was praying for us. He was praying that we would know how to be kept in these times. I'm telling you, God, Jesus already knew what was going to He knew what was going to happen in 2021, 2020, in 2019, 2018. He knew all of this when He prayed this prayer. 
Or are you following me? Beginning at verse 15, it reads, I pray not that thou shalt take them out of the world, that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, talking about his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their words, that would be us, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in, in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So Jesus here, he's saying that he desires not to take us out of the world, and I, I want us to get that. He's not taking us out of the world, but he is protecting us from the evil that's in the world. He desires to send us out into the world, and he says now, he said, when I send you out, I'm not sending you alone, I'm sending you with each other, and I even got the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. That's the way the world is going to know that the Father sent the Son when they see us as we go out into the world. Amen. Now, get this. The world will never, ever believe that the Father sent the Son, it, you know, if we, if they don't see it in us, if we don't get into the world. But if they see it, after they see us in the world, if they get it, if they receive, yes, I see I see what you're saying because I see you're ministering through your life. Now, that's called salvation. They are believing that the Father sent the Son. Why? Because we began to walk in that. We walk in those things in the world, not just in the church. Everybody want to be holy in the church. But we need to make this light seen in the world so that they can say, yes, I understand that the Father sent the Son so they can be saved. That is salvation. Amen. Because remember what the scripture says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So this is what's going to bring salvation. So God wants us to go out into the world so that the world might believe that the Father sent Jesus and what he sent him for. And Jesus sent him, why? Because he wanted to save them that are in the world. Now, if a person believes this, they will be saved. That's all we got to look at. That's all we got to think of. That's all that we need to know and do is be that light. Be powerful in the world. My intent of this is to protect us from the evil of the world. How many of you can agree to, with me that this world is evil? We have evil in there, in this world. You have to see that. You have to know that. We have evil among our politicians. We have evil among our co-workers. We have e evil is everywhere in this world. And God wants us to go out in it. But he said, but I'm going to protect you in it. I'm going to protect you because the evil is everywhere. Amen? And so God is saying, I want to protect us from those things. And he said, and what are those evil things? Those things that will damage our character, damage who we are, 
hurtful things that are going on in our lives that God said, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to show you how not to damage your character in the midst of being in the world. See, we need to know how my character can stay intact with the world being evil all around me. That's when people are taking hot shots of me, when people are saying wrong things about me, when people are saying disgusting things about the body of Christ. God said, I need you on point to be what I've called you to be. Amen. We're in a good object lesson, though, going on. It's going on right now. We need to understand that, regardless of what our opinions are. Our opinions is like a nose. Everyone have one. Regardless of your opinion, we should learn and grow. Regardless of what your thoughts are, we should learn and grow. Amen. When you're in the world, you know what? All the different thoughts that you never thought would damage your, damage your character, it has. And God said, I need it to stop now. Different things that you're doing. And see, you've, actually, you've walked in a lot, lot of morality that have been opposed to God. And we think that it has held us up. But it has damaged your character. You know, you've made excuses of why you did what that, that's just being, you know, that's just being, having that morality that you think, you know, well, I did this because of that, and I said this because of that. Uh-uh. All of that is things that are setting you up to damage your character. Some of you have character that's damaged now. People put up with you and everything, but your, da- your character is damaged with them. In the back of their mind, they don't always say what they think, but it is damaged. Those are the things you have to repent from, and then you have to rebuild. you got to make retribution for it. you got to change. Not just in word, but you have to change in deed. You have to change in every area. Amen? And this is what the adversary like to do. And what we are not aware of. See, we all, I, we, we preach this for so long and you should get it. Don't forget you have an enemy. I don't care how much word you get. I don't care how much you love the God. You have an enemy. And this is what the enemy does. After he gets you to damage your character, he, he, he holds that information. He holds it until it matters. Then he springs it out. He'll, he'll, he'll damage your character and hold that information until it matters. So instead of judging, we ought to be learning. And instead of criticizing, we ought to be learning. Listen to me. If you're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, if you're in your 20s, you should be learning right now. You should be learning. You should be learning that this world out here is evil. So stop trying to give your best to the, to the world. You should be learning now this world is evil. We're trying to teach it to you. You can get caught up in things. You can get caught up in things that's damaging your character. Learn. Learn. See, this is the thing about being young. When you're young, you might not think, everybody say think, you might not think that you need your character. See, because you don't think. And you don't think, I don't really need, that ain't nothing. 
And you might not think you need character because you're riding on someone else's character. See, that's different. You can grab their last name and you're riding on that. But it's going to come to a point that you're going to have to live on your own name. And your own character. Listen to me. There's going to come a time in your life when you need your own name. And you don't want the world to file things behind your character, behind your name, that's damaging. See, because we all act like we damage our character and we just ask God forgiveness and everything is do and everything is good. That's not how it works. It would be lovely if that's how it works. It doesn't work that way with the world and neither does it work that way with God. Because when you damage your character, you set things in motion. That's going to be, what do we say? You can, you can make any choices you want, but the consequences you can't choose and you gotta go through those. The world, let me tell you, they'll always say they forgive you and they are, they, in the back of your mind, they, it's there. Even with Christians, they're like, yeah, you say that and well, I'm watching your life, but I don't trust you. Damaged character. You don't have to, you don't, we, we don't have to live like that. Not only did we say that those things are damaging, but they're also hurtful. We live in a hurtful world. You know, one of the most hurtful things, and maybe we'll talk about this as another, at another time and in a, another section, uh, but child abuse. Very, very, that, that's a very, very prevalent thing. It's amazing how many people that are adults now that were mistreated as a child. And because of that mistreatment, how they had to deal with it. And they dealt with it with, with, with they deal with that hurt for the rest of their lives. And so you have to be, learn to be sensitive to that. If you're, you're married to someone like that, or that have been that, or you've been personally that person. That have been abused. Whether it's physically, emotionally, you know, spiritually. However, you must understand that sometimes for the rest of your life, it causes all sorts of other challenges in your life. All kinds of behaviors and situations. All because something, something happened to you when you were a child. It is what it is. And, you know, sometimes you look and you'll be like, how could they think like that? Something happened when they were a child. And you don't have to always just go to sexual things. It could be anything. It could be any kind of abuse. Are you with me? We said that evil things are grievous things. God is grieved. And we said that the, the, the adversary has malicious intent for you always. Never anything good. Even though he might give you something that you think is good, if at the end of it is a malicious intent. Know that. Don't think you got away. Don't think, oh, it's really not. No, it's a malicious intent. Always. He has nothing good for you ever. He do not wish you good. And he used everyone else to... Well, he'll use whoever will allow him to use it to make sure that he pulls off everything that he wants pertaining to your life to be grievous, to be hard. We said that the purpose of this teaching is to sanctify us with truth. 
That is, I want to separate us from evil things. Listen, I'm not going to and I'm not trying to separate you from anything that is not evil. So you be like, oh, I don't know, they just want me. They don't want me with her. I'm trying to tell you this. I'm not trying to separate you from anything that's not evil. So everything that I'm, whether it, whether, whether it, it has something, the word goes forth and it has something to do with someone you love. It has nothing to do with an individual. I'm trying to separate you from those things that are evil only. Anything that's not evil, I won't touch. Oh, we got to understand this. Everything that is evil in our lives, I want us to, we have to be set apart. We have to be sanctified. We have to have, we're here for a sacred purpose. And we have to know that. And you always talk about you want to be used by God. Well, you have to allow these things to happen. You have to allow these things to minister to you so God can use you. And the goal of this teaching is to actualize the vision of this church in this span of time, which we get, we're in this time. We're here. We're here. Let's be powerful while we're here. We look at everything that's going on in the world and we like, oh my God, you know, we say it's evil. It's terrible. Everything that's going on. You see what everything that's going on in, in, in the government. You see everything's going on in my personal life. I, we see everything that's going on in the world, in our country, in our state. But in all of that, understand this, God has not changed our assignment. Not, by, not even a little bit. He's never changed our assignment. Yet, let me tell you, God still wants us to be a church that loves Him, hates sin, and people that love to give. And you know what? It's so hard for people to get that last one. Love to give. Because in their minds, love to give is only talking about money. And again, that's a lack of understanding. Because giving is more than money. You have to love to be a giver of the heart. See, a giver is someone that's concerned about someone that's having it hard. Maybe you don't have much to give in by way of money, but you have much to give by way of encouragement, by way of sharing the little you have. That's giving. All we think about, yeah, love to give. They're talking about giving. It's not always about money. But guess what? For you that always think that, it probably is always about money. For you. And God's going to always deal with you right there until it's broken. Because it's not always about money. When it's about money, it's about money. (laughs) When it's about giving, it's about more than just money. Are you with me? Now, you at Church of Living Water ought to know that in all of our getting. Amen? And God has called us, again, to hate sin, to be, learn to give in this dispensation of time in our lives. God is not calling us in to throw up a red flag or white flag or whatever kind of surrender flag that we have. We want to just give up. He's calling us to move this church forward. I, listen, this, this, understand this. It doesn't matter to me who stays or who goes, because that's not my business. My business is to minister to those that are here. 
And that's what I'm going to do. We at this church, we don't chase after, run after anybody that goes that will get you off your purpose, your goal, and your assignment. Stay with what God has told you. Are you with me? This is how we're going to move this church forward, amen, in this span of time. Now, we began by looking at some definitions from a biblical perspective of the word world. And in that, we said different, different, we gave different references, amen. And uh, these definitions are very important. It's very important for every teaching that comes from every minister in this church. This word, world, is very important to us. All the teachings that will go forth in order for you to understand everything that this is your learning point, this is your learning point. The 10 o'clock service is, if you will, the foundation for every other teaching. It doesn't mean it's the best teaching. It doesn't mean it's the foundation for it. Everything else will spring off from that. Even though it might be different topics, because we're dealing with different things, but it's coming from the foundation. So if your foundation is not good, I don't care what any of them preach. You're not going to be stabilized. If you don't know how to live in this world, in this time, in this span of time, if you don't know how to live and exist in this dispensation of time, I don't care what anybody preach. You have no foundation to stand on. Are you with me? This is what we're doing here at this time. Amen? So we reference in that. Listen, there is no new world. Just, listen, just new manifestations of the same old thing. There's no new world. This that happened, to, it's no new world. I know it's the, what happened here in Texas this week, it was new to us. But there's no new world. Get that. It's just new manifestations of the same thing. Listen, Abraham had to deal with Sodom and Gomorrah. See, there's nothing new. It's nothing new. It just have a different manifestation. But it's nothing new. It just uh, it's nothing new. It just changed how it manifests. So these definitions will, that I'm giving you is a foundation to help us. To help us understand the world that, that, that from a biblical perspective. I want to come from a biblical uh, perspective because I don't want you to get out into the world thinking about the world. Amen. God is ministering to us. Understanding the world in our, understanding this dispensation of time in our this, in our time, in this span of time. We said, first of all, that we see the world, and when we see the world, world in the body, we said that it is the whole of creation, created and ordered by God and defiled by man. Meaning everything that you see, God created it, and He ordered it. Man got a hold of it, and defiled it. It was created and ordered by God. But it was defiled by man. In other words, when Adam sinned in the garden, he defiled what God created and what God ordered. Get that down. Then we said, secondly, that the world is the ungodly multitude that is alienated from God. 
is what the Bible says referring in to uh, John 3 and 16. When he says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, everybody say whosoever, believeth on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is talking about people who are in an ungodly state who are alienated from him. But this is what we've learned. It is God that we've learned this one thing and grab hold of it. God loves the world. See, we get so caught up in the fact that we're believers, we think that God only loves the church. And forget about we were once in the world. God loves the world. Amen? God loves those who are alienated and cut off from Him. You know, many of us, if, if, if not most of us, have somebody, listen to me, somebody in our family that we're shut off from. Many of us, if not most of us. Somebody in our family that we're shut off for. We are estranged from. I want you to understand this. We're, it's called being alienated from them. We have someone in our family that we are disconnected from. And it's usually because they're involved in some things, listen, that makes it impossible for us to have a relationship. Usually that's the reason why you're kind of cut off or, you know, alienated or disconnected from them. They're in some type of, they're doing something that will not let the relationship connect. But in our heart's desire, because we love them, we do not want it that way. We wish it was another way. You know, it's hurtful when you have somebody that you love, but you can't have a relationship with. That's hurtful. And you can't have a relationship with them because of the state of affairs in their life. It's hurtful. So God loves those who are alienated and shut off from Him. And He loved them so much that He sent Jesus to die for them. And I think that one of our mistakes that we make as Christians is we think God only loves the church and we got to get that out of our mentality. Listen, we are His people and He do loves us. But the world is His people and He loves them as well. we got to know that. The unbeliever, listen, is his people. He created all of us. Know that. And at one point, we got to remember, you were an unbeliever. And I was an unbeliever. And God so loved me, <laughs> he gave his only begotten son. He wasn't saying, you know, well, I'm just waiting for you to get it. Uh, 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 whenever you get done, uh, uh, come on in. He wasn't waiting for that. God loves those who are blinded. We were once blind. God loves, loves those that are in bondage and in darkness. There are so many people in the world crying out for God. Listen, but they are isolated. You've got to understand that they are in darkness. You know, technology today, I was just looking, you know, we got all of this technology. But, this, but technology has exposed us 
and isolated us all at the same time. It exposed us and isolated us all at the same time. Let me show you how. In other words, you listen, you can go anywhere you want on that phone. Can't we? We can do any, all we got to do. We go anywhere we want on that phone, even on that computer. But guess what? You cannot feel love from it. You cannot feel love from that phone. You can't feel it through that phone. That's why when people get introduced to people through a phone or through a deal, they're like, when can we meet? Because I cannot connect. I'm telling you, technology exposed us and isolated us at the same time. Listen, you cannot connect to anything on that phone. That's why it's, you, when you when you call in, that's why your phone is say waiting for connecting, or your computer waiting to connect. You can connect to anything on that phone, but you cannot feel connected through the phone. There's a difference. This is important because technology is just going to get deeper and deeper, and we better be able to rightly divide that. And there's so many people that are isolated. They're in darkness. And guess what? The only light they have is that little glow of that device. And we're just walking around. This is the only, that's the only light they have is the little glow of that device. They push it up. They're in the middle of that night in the dark and they just push that so the light can come on on the phone. The light can come on their computer on the phone. And they're looking for the light. And we are the ones that have the light. And then our third definition of the world is the whole of temporal things and worldly affairs. In other words, everything that registers on our senses is temporal. And that's the world. Now we said temporal things and worldly affairs are not evil. However, they are frail. They're temporal. They're uncertain. Listen, there's nothing more uncertain than stuffing things. Know that. There's nothing more uncertain than stuff and things. They're hollow. They don't have any real weight to them. They're fleeting. Here today and gone tomorrow. Just think about how many clothes that you have that you've bought over the years that you will not now, you won't even put them on. You'll be like, if I die, don't you put me in that? See, because it's gone. You, that's what it means when you won't be caught dead in it. Like, don't even put that in on me. In the, don't do it. We said that these temporal things will seduce us and draw us away from God. We learn that we can't love, trust, rely on, and we can't place value on temporal things. Then we learn that the world is all that is hostile, rebellious, and opposed to God. We define that simple, that simply, we define that as simply the world system. That's all it is. It's the world system. The world system have a way that it operates, and it is hostile rebellious, and opposed to God. That system is under the influence of the adversary. 
And we learn that it is not, it is the root of that system. Listen, the root of that system is morality. That's the root of it. And we understand also that morality is hostile, rebellious, and opposed to God and His righteousness. Now, I know that sounds funny to the ear, especially if it's your first time hearing it, about morality or good morals and those things. But it is hostile, rebellious, and opposed to God. And the reason why it sounds funny to those is because it's kind of typical that uh, we think morality is a good thing. We just do. Oh, and we've even said it about people. But you know what? They're not saved, but they got great morals. Oh, I love them. You know, they're, I mean, it's, you know, something about them. They're just good morals. They're just good people. They're just good people. There's a lot of good people with good morals in hell. Because why? If if you were banking on going to heaven with your, moral, with your morality, let me tell you, it was opposed to rebellious, hostile toward God. That took us to another definition. And this is where I think we left off when we said that the word world defined in the Bible is the spirit of the age. Are you following me? The spirit of the age. In other words, the spirit of the age is the current state of of morality, the current state of morality. Now, listen attentively, submit fully to what I'm about to say. Conform completely to this, what I'm about to say. Don't ever, giving you, I'm, I'm giving you a command from the, the Lord, don't ever react to the current state of affair, uh, morality. Don't ever react to the current state of morality. Listen, it's just the current state of morality. Don't get bent out of shape because of the current state of morality. It's just the current state of morality. Don't get upset. Don't get bent out of shape about what is or what is not. Don't say, you know, this is moral today and it might... Let me tell you, it's moral today or... I'm not getting upset what's moral today or tomorrow. I want you to tell them, don't ever. I don't want them ever to get bent out of shape of the current. Everybody say current. The cur- that means the right now state of morality. And I'll tell you why. The world sets up morality to make, first of all, to make us think that it's righteousness. And God said, tell them don't ever get upset with the current state of morality because it will change. It's going to change. And it's going to change so much in your lifetime. From week to week, month to month, year to year. But the spirit of the age is whatever the world says is moral now. That's what it is. But it's going to change. That's why I said, don't get upset because it won't last. It's going to change. Look from where you were. When you were in high school, now everything changes. 
The world sets up morality to make you think that it is righteousness. But it's just simply morality. And the way you know that morality is not righteousness is because no matter the age, no matter what age you are, immorality is always, everybody say always, it's always going to be hostile toward righteousness. That's how you're going to tell the difference. Because if you don't see it, it'll almost look the same. But morality is always going to be hostile towards righteousness. As a matter of fact, morality will accept everything but righteousness. Just listen to me. So it's hateful to say something's righteous. But it's not hateful to call a righteous person hateful. For example, if I say you're doing something and I say that's unrighteous, I'm being hateful. But if I start talking about what I believe in the Holy God, then all of a sudden it's hateful towards me. Oh, no, uh-uh. She's holier than thou and this, that. Now, it goes on. Morality accepts everything but righteousness. See, it's not hateful to call a righteous person hateful, but it's hateful for you to call unrighteousness anything righteous. Like, uh-uh, that's wrong. Well, now, you don't have no right to do that. You don't have no right to say that. See, you're free in this dispensation of time to, to live however you want. It's you. I live whatever way I want. And, and I want to live that way and not be judged by you. Unless you choose to live righteous. You choose to live righteous, here comes the judgment. They see... I can live any kind of way. Don't you judge me. You say you live righteous. Now I'm going to judge you. I'm free to judge you. See, you're free to go into work tomorrow, those of you that can go in, and discuss any ungodly activity that you participate in without judgment. Everybody listen to it, laugh at it, everything. Nobody's going to judge you. And people will say things like, oh, well, you, you know, you're just doing you. Do you. That's your life. And you're free to live whatever way you want to live. But now you go into that same workplace and you proclaim, I'm righteous. I'm a righteous person. And I don't participate in certain things like that. I'll guarantee you, you will be judged. You will be judged. Say, mm, 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 mm. Stay away from them. You know, you see how they, you're going to be judged. But go in there and talk about fornicating, committing adultery, getting high, doing everything wrong. And everybody, yes, yes, hey, that's cool. And let you stand up and say, I don't do those things. Well, I know better. She needs to sit down. They have a right to live whatever way they want to. Well, if they have a right to do that, don't I have a right to say that I'm righteous? 
So this, so, so it's not true that you can live however you want in this system. It, 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 it can't be true. It cannot be true. Listen, you can't live any way you want in this moral system. Know that. See, if I'm not free to believe that alcohol is wrong and I'll be judged, listen, but if you can come in and say I was wasted for a week and I'm just getting over my hangover, I can't say anything. Don't say anything. Because if you do say something, now you're immoral. Look at you. I know you didn't go in and tell them that. Why are you judging people? Well, why did you judge me? When I came in and said that I'm against alcohol, I don't like alcohol, then you was like, wow, well, what, what's wrong with you? Why are you judging me? I just want you to see the difference between morality and righteousness. It's so, and let me tell you, because you're so used to thinking that morality is good that you won't see it unless you see it this way. Why are you judging people? Then you'll have to ask, why do you judge me? Morality sets up no judgment for sin, only judgment for righteousness. Write it down. Morality never sets up judgment of sin, only for righteousness. Now, unrighteous people set up things all the times where I'm not welcome. All the time. I've even, when me and Pastor, when Pastor was here, it, it's been even family members that had different, different things they didn't even invite us to. Not that we mind, because we probably would have turned down the offer, but you know, sometimes it's just, it's just good to just offer. So somebody can. But they wouldn't even offer. They set up, I mean, different ones. And guess what? And sometimes they would offer people that claim to be righteous, they would be there, but not us. Listen to what I'm saying. Unrighteous people set up things all the time where I'm not welcome. But let me set up something where unrighteousness is not welcome. Now I'm a, I'm bigoted. If I set up something that unrighteousness is not welcome. See, see, let, let me, let me make it clear. I'm not welcome to go to a club and read my Bible. See, now if I go sit up at a bar and open my Bible and start reading, that's going to be a problem in that club. They're going to be like, now wait a minute, hold up. I cannot sit up at a bar, open my Bible and read it on a Friday night in the mist and start reading it out loud and just reading it. There would be a problem. There would be a judgment against me. I'm just trying to help you see the difference. Because here's the thing you have to be very careful about. 
very careful. You have to be careful that you don't confuse morality with righteousness. Because they are similar but different. And they're going to be real similar to you because you're used to thinking morality was okay. Aren't you thankful for a teaching ministry? That's why you have to be you have to be on point. That's why you can't let get get all caught up in your children's affairs and affairs of other. It gets you distracted and you immorality will sneak right in. And so we started. I'm just still reviewing. So we started going down a list of definitions last week. We started co- uh, comparing morality with righteousness. We said, first of all, that morality is the standard of man. And the problem is that it is ever-changing. Morality changes. Righteousness never does. Righteousness never does. Morality is ever-changing. Moral- uh, righteousness never changes. Morality always changes. It's ever-changing. Week to week, month to month, year to year. Righteousness does not. Righteousness is the never-changing standard of God. But morality is the ever-changing standard of man. Write it down so you'll know. Righteousness is the never-changing standard of God. Morality is the ever-changing standard of man. Man sets what is moral and what is not moral. There are times... Let me tell you. I'm going to show you how, how it changes. That was a time when alcohol was illegal. Morality have changed. That was a time when drugs were illegal. Now morality has changed. Now, did you know, look it up, there are still states in the United States where sexual sins is a crime? There's still some states that sexual sin is a crime. However, you can be uh, 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 married, listen, into a state that is criminal in your state. Morality doesn't even... See, morality doesn't even make sense when you start looking at it like that. But you know what? We'll keep on to nonsense, make nonsense, make sense. will make nonsense make sense. Do you know in some states, teenagers can get married, in other states they can't? The standard of man. Just giving you some examples. Not based on God's word that, you know, and because morality is ever changing. It's always changing. Now you have to be very careful because you can set up your own morality. Yes, you can. I've seen people in this ministry have good morals. But you come with them with the scripture, they're lost. They're lost when you come to that. But they got good morals. They'll run around and talk to everybody about everything but God. You got to be careful that you can't set your own morality and you can change in your mind when you set up your own morality from what is right based on how you live in. Did you know that? You can change in your mind 
on what is right based on how you're living. I've seen parents changing their minds about homosexuality because they have someone in their family that has it. I mean, that does it. That's just one example. I mean, straight across the board. You can change your mind based on how you're living. You can sit in church and say, yesterday that was right. But because of my situation, it has changed today. This is right. That's called morality. That is the spirit of this age. Where you can say what is right and what is not right. I'm talking about Christians doing this. Saying what's right and what's not right. But righteousness says what God says is what is right. See, it's not going to change. Because God doesn't change. So righteousness always says what God says is right. Then we said morality is the practice of the conduct of man in relationship to man. In other words, man decides how he's going to treat his brother or his sister. That's moral. For example, in this country, (laughs) did you know, maybe not so much... (laughs) After this last four years or this last year or last two years. But do you know it was, it is said that America is the moral compass of the world? We almost want to laugh about it, but it's true. That's what they say. That America is the moral compass for the world. Look it up. That, that, that blew me away. So therefore, since we're the moral compass of the word, we decide when we go to war. (laughs) And we decide when we go to war if it's just. And then we decide when someone else go to war, we decide whether it's hostile. We decide it. We decide that our intentions are always good in America. Oh yeah, I'm speaking. And we decide that we can tell the intentions of everyone else. Everybody else. Others. We know your intentions. But check this out. Even though every war that has been involved in over the last 60 years, every war has never been in our country. Never been in our country. We have decided that the moral thing to do was to go over into another person's country. Listen, to protect ours. Even though they're not in our country. We feel moral. And as Americans, we feel moral. We can do that. We can go over 
into Iran or Iraq and say, you're not keeping your people well. We're going to kill you. Not affecting our country at all, but are we morally, we think it's wrong. Going to come back to haunt us. You better make sure you know how to live in this span of time. But what is that based on? All I'm doing is just asking the question. What is that based on? Morality. Oh, because we say one nation is under God. Well, a lot of countries use, 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 under their oaths and anthems, use God. Just saying it doesn't make it so. But righteousness said, I have to treat men how God says. See, that's different. How God tells me to treat him. Everybody say, that's different. It's different. It's different from morality. Righteousness says, I have to love my enemies. That's a different standard. And then thirdly, we said that morality is proved and established by argument, remember? In other words, the way morality is set up, people get together and argue. And argue it out. And the winner of the argument sets the morals. Won't go back over that. But righteousness is improved by our arguments because righteousness is established by the Word of God and the will of God. Totally different. There's nothing to argue about then. What's right is what God says. But see, we like to get in a room and start arguing it out. And whatever comes out of the argument, that's what the moral, that's the moral thing to do. That's what our government do. Let's get, let, let's get all of them together and let's get in the room and let's, let's do filibusters and let's argue it out. And whoever wins, whatever party wins, that sets the morals. And you know, a lot of morality, I was thinking about it, especially you math people that love math, it's nothing but mathematics. <laughs> if I do five things that I ought to do, and only do things that, two things that I ought not do, do you know what, you know, I, you know I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But I'm all right. I'm doing at least three things. And so I'm in the positive. That's mathematics. In other words, if I subtract the bad things from the good, and I come up with a positive number, I'm all right. Five minus three is two. Okay. And that's a positive number. I'm good. I, I'm, I'm not a bad person. See, I'm not like that person who only does two things right. See, they only do two things right. And five wrong. You subtract that, and they had a negative three, so they down. Just mathematics going on. Don't even know it. Let me tell you, you always said you don't know how to do formulas. That's formulas. 
Ooh, formulas. Ooh. Ooh, I always suffer with that. No, you live in, you do it every day. They not right. Mathematics will make us work on those formulas. I tell you. Okay, before I can before the pandemic, I came to church on Sundays and I came on Wednesdays. That's two. Okay, um, okay, that's two. Okay. I don't I don't work in the ministry minus one. That's one. Oh wait, I tied. That's back two. Sometimes one and a half. Took me down a little more. See, all it is is math now. Oh, one and a half. Oh, I don't cuss. Back up two and a half. Unless they make me mad, back down one and a half. All it is formulas working and we don't even see it. We don't even know it. <laughs> All we want to know is do I come up with a positive number? And if, the, if it comes up positive, I do a little more good than I do bad, I'm alright. That's called morality. I don't do everything they want me to do at that job, but at least I come in. That's a four. <laughs> And at least I do, you know, some of the things that makes me kind of neutral. See, we're just working it out in our own minds. Do you know your mind can make you think anything you do seem right? <laughs> you Anything you do, it can make it seem right. I'm a witness of that. I'm a, now, I'm working on this. When someone hurts someone that I love, I just get irate. And I have to, I have to, I, I got to learn from my pastor when it comes to that. Because I want to just let them have it. And I've been working on that because my pastor knew how to do that. Very controlled. And I'm working on it. Listen, your mind can make you think. Everything you do seems right. Okay, listen, I've, I've never been to prison. No, I'm talking about me personally. I've never been to prison, and you know, and I, and I don't plan to go except to visit someone there. I don't plan to be in there. But do you know, let me show you with morality, how it's all over. Do you know there's hierarchy in prisons? There's hierarchy in prison. They have to separate some criminals from other criminals because there's hierarchy. Some criminals will think, okay, I did one thing, but you did another. You're worse than me. Now, I stole from Swan, beat him half to death, put him in the hospital. I'm okay. But you raped somebody. Don't you come near me. There's going to be a problem. You're a little lower than me. Don't let me catch you. You raped someone. I just almost killed someone. I'm better than you. You're wrong. How are you going to be in prison and another prison is wronger than you? And you're in the same place. 
All I did was pull a gun on him and beat him. Not you. You went too far. See, what did we talk about last week? That's that intellectual activity of the mind. Because it won't even stop even in criminals until man feels moral. That's some good in me. We have to be careful because we'll start bringing that intellectual activity into the church easily. We'll start coming up with formulas and scenarios by which we are right. And the only way that we're right is that we're walking in conforming to what God's Word says and obedient to His will and His way. And in proper relationship with God and man. That's what, I, that's what we do. So that takes us to another definition. We said morality respects the conduct of man and each person's right. Remember? They got a right. We got a, I, I, well, I respect what they believe. No. No. Well. Now that sounds good. Morality respects the conduct of man and each person's right. In other words, I'm just doing me and you doing you. You know what? Well, you know, we ought to respect, you know, because people, you know, everybody have a right to do what they want to. Everybody have a right to live how they want to live their life. That is called good morals. You, know, you just want to be in a good moral position. And let me tell you, when you have that, that attitude, you will never witness because you feel like they have a right. I'm, I don't have, I'm not going to witness to them. That's their life. That's what they want to do. I'm throw my hands up. God said, "No, I'm going to need you to witness to them." And that's why I'm calling Church of the Living Water to holiness and righteousness. Because many of you have taken the moral position. That everybody have a right to live the way they want to or how they choose. Every person can determine their own conduct. See, you've, you've adopted that. We ought to respect what everybody else will do. If they want to live that way, respect it. You've adapted that. And you, think, and you made yourself morally good thinking that. So when God prompts you by His Spirit to witness to somebody, then you get moral with God. Well, God, I, you know, I'm just, no, this is what we do. I'm just going to just let them see my life by my walk. I'm not going to say nothing. No, you know, some, in some instances, God wants them to see your life. But when, they, when God is telling you to speak, you have to speak. <laughs> when God prompts you by His Spirit to witness to somebody, don't get moral with God. Well, God, you know how they live, and that's their choice. And I, I know in this, you know, the way we are, i got to respect that, what they're doing. But notice, they don't respect what you're doing. And they'll let you know. See, that's a good moral position you got to respect a person that's moral. I have a co-worker, and yeah, they, you know, they're alcoholic. But I can't say nothing to them because, you know, I respect that that's their lives and that's the way they choose to live. What you're saying is I can't witness to them. I see them 
And I see them come in, hang over, and they, you know, but I, you know what, I'm just staying, staying in my lane. You know, we could use all of those. I'm staying in my lane. Now you've come tomorrow to witness. But righteousness says there's a way to live and there's a way to love them in spite of. And it doesn't mean that I'm judging you. It means that I have the truth for you. You need to tell them that. I'm not judging you, but I have the truth that you don't have that can set you free. Now I have the responsibility you have the responsibility to give them the truth. Now, this is what you have to understand. Everybody understand this. All of us have the responsibility to give people the truth. It is not our responsibility of what they do with it. See, we want to know what they're doing with it. God said, that's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is just to give them the truth. Let me see if they're walking in it. God said, that now you're trying to get on my throne. That's not your job. Now that's when you need to stay in your lane. Your responsibility is to give them the truth. What they do with the truth is not up to you. You're on your job. You're, and on your job, you're to be a light. Your job is not to determine what people do with it. Not determined. Listen, in this statement, listen to this statement very carefully. I want you to get it. There will be people who will reject God. There's nothing you can do about that. And God knows it. God knows that there will be people that will reject Him. He already knows that. It's nothing you can do about that. He don't expect you to do anything about that. He expects you to witness and I believe in my heart that this is what the, that, uh, uh, believe that, uh, what has God's heart hurt in these days, in these dark times, is that I don't think that His heart is perishing, or I mean, His heart is hurting because people are perishing, because they reject light. Like, oh, people are perishing because they, we give them the word and they don't. No, no, no. I believe that God's heart is hurting because they're perishing because people have never seen the light. Not because you ministered to them and they rejected. No. His light is powerful. God's heart hurts because he said, no, they've never seen it. There will always be people who see the truth and reject it. That's not even your concern. But I believe why God is calling us to righteousness is because there are people who are perishing that have never seen the light, and they need to see the light. See, there's one thing for your, your neighbor to reject the light. It's another thing for your neighbor to have never seen it. Never seen it next door. You know... My sons, they just did that on their own. The lady on the right side of me, she's a widow as well. Uh, her husband passed around the same time Pastor Hill passed. And uh, my sons went over to her house just to check on her and just see if she had food and everything. And they, you know, went over and she said, oh, my God, that's so sweet of you all. But I'm fine and, and everything. But, but but we always do. Isaiah check over across the fence or he'll give her some ribs across the fence. Because and, and she's by herself. 
Her sons live out of town. Very nice lady. She's the older lady and everything. But they just went over and checked on her because she was by herself in this last week. See, that's light. That's light that they see. That's the kind of light they're going to have to see. Listen, it's a totally different scenario if you're behind those closed doors and there's no light being seen. If you bring truth and they totally they totally reject it and they don't want it, that's totally different. But if you bring truth and you have truth and you never share it, that's a whole other thing. See, I, I think that God is upset. I don't believe that God is upset what's going on in the world. It's supposed to be happening, what's happening. It's all in the scriptures. I think what God is upset with is the church. That's what God is upset with, with the church. God doesn't have any expectation of the world. He doesn't have any expectation of the world. But I believe in my heart that what hurts God is the church is not doing what the church needs to do. And when we're not doing what God requires of us, we're in trouble. The next definition of morality. Morality is based on personal happiness. I mean, everybody ought to be, you know, that we say that. Everybody ought to be happy. Do what makes them happy. Silly women. Silly men. I'm doing what makes me happy. I can't just be miserable all my life. I, you know. You hear people say, you know, God wants me, you know, I know God wants me to be happy. That's not even in the Bible. That God just wants you to be happy. But it sounds good, doesn't it? Morality is based on personal happiness. That sounds good. But righteousness is based on pleasing God. There's a difference. Now, and righteousness being based on pleasing God, listen, which may not make you happy. <laughs> because pleasing God may require sacrifice because of your own disobedience. And that's not pleasing for you. A lot of Christians move out of position when God, with God because they're ready for some happiness. God's ministering to you and trying to tell you, I'm moving out of it because I'm ready to be happy. Are you happy now? It's like, can you hear me now? Are you happy now? A marriage won't make you happy. A new house won't make you happy. A new car won't make you happy. Children won't make you happy. None of that is made. None of it is intended to make you happy. It'll be a periodic. It, it would be so quick you forgot you were happy at that moment. But I'm doing it because I want to be happy. How long is this gonna last? How long am I gonna be single? I deserve to be happy. Forget marriage. Take work. I love when people find out that marriage is not just sex. You can tell they look. They look like I'm getting my tail beat. I thought it was just sex. Now I ain't even looking for sex. I just want to go to sleep. 
No. You got to work and put in the work and work some more. Well, if you married five years and down, you ain't even been married yet. You still playing house. You ain't, you ain't even married yet. Six years, you still ain't married. You just coming, you, you just getting your head above water. Marriage is not no plaything. I know God wants me to be happy. No, you want to be happy. But it's fleeting. I'd rather have joy than happiness. Because I can have joy in the midst of circumstances. Happiness is going to change. The last definition I have for you is morality is social law. Woo! I'm going to go on on. Y'all just stay with me. And those of you that don't can't stream fastest, bye-bye. Because we're going to stay right here and understand this. Morality is social law. Another way that you can say this is the end result of morality is that man makes social law. Even Jesus had to address the fact that because of the nature of man, social law exists and that he was not in favor of. Jesus had to deal with it. Now listen to this about social law. We have listen, please write this down. We have to live in and under social law. But we don't necessarily conform to social law. We don't conform to social law. We have to live in and under Social law. But we don't necessarily have to conform to social law. Why? Because everything that morality or moral makes legal, a Christian can't do. You can't do. Every social law, every law that's made and put on the books and written down, some things as a believer... I don't even want to say Christian because everybody go by the name. As a believer, you can't do. I'll give you some examples. There's a lot of social laws that you can't, you cannot participate in. Paul said all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Listen. Social law says... You can smoke, you can drink, you can cuss, you can sleep around with whoever you want to sleep around with, however you want to sleep around, however you do it. You can do it in whatever capacity that you want to sleep with them, however you want to. If you want to do a threesome, foursome, social law said it's okay. That's all socially lawful. So since it's law, socially lawful, it's morally okay. <laughs> but you can't do it as a believer. It's lawful to gamble, but you can't. Ooh, ah, I got it, I got it. See, morality makes you think, what's wrong with it? Ask God. 
That's a whole that's a whole nother sermon that I might preach one day just for you. Listen, in some states it's lawful to get high, but you can't. You can't. Social law is something we will always live in and will always live under. But it doesn't mean that you have to conform to it. Listen, if you are a man, now it's legal to marry another man. But you can't. Socially, it's okay. If you're a woman, it is now legal that you can marry a woman. You can go out and marry a woman. But you can't. See, that's living in and under social law, but not conforming to it. Why? I'm a pilgrim here. I'm an ambassador here. I live in it, but I do not have to. I'm under it. I live in it, but I'm not conforming to it. Why do I not conform to it? Because social law is against the law of God. That's why you can't. It's against the law of God. You live in it. You live under it. You can't conform to it. Go with me to Colossians. Go over to Colossians chapter 2. The world also means the ideals that dominate. Write it, write it down. The world. That dominates every time period. The ideals are ideals that dominate in every time period. Do you know there was a time in slavery? There was a time when slavery, you can't believe it, was a dominant ideal in this country. (laughs) That was a time. Not now. That's why you can't get caught up with morality. Because that was a time, that was a time that it was moral to beat and kill somebody. Did you know that? That was a time. You was a moral person if you beat and kill someone. Not now. Not now. It's not now. This is why you can't get hung up on morality. Did you know that was a time? Listen, when it was moral. To say that a human being was three-fifths of a person. Mostly everybody in this room was considered three-fifths of a person. And it was moral. Now it's not. Can't get caught up in morality. Morality changes. But there are ideals that dominate every time. So we have to be careful. We don't get caught up in ideas and ideals that are dominating this time that we live in. Be very cautious. In every dispensation, you need to understand that there were and is ideas and ideals that dominate every time. Know that. Good for you to know as a lawyer. Colossians 2, 
beginning at verse 1. For I would that we knew that great affliction that I had for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches and the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mysteries of God and the Father and of Christ, in whom we in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. He said concern he, he said this, he said, I'm concerned about you, and so am I. I don't want somebody he said, I don't want somebody to come in and draw you away with some enticing words. Things that sound good, but that are not good. See, it's not going to be obvious. It's going to sound good, but not good. Let me give you an example. All of you have heard of con. A person that can con you or uh, uh, con, a con game. Now, here's the thing about a con. Listen to me closely, because it's, it's very important that you understand it. Here's the thing about a con that's different from another type of crime. Any other type of crime. This is the difference with the con. A con, you commit the crime against yourself. Let me show you how. In a con, you commit the crime against yourself. Are you with me? See, a thief, when he breaks in your house, he breaks in and takes your stuff. Forcefully. But a con gets you to sign it over to him. It gets you to do it on your own. On your own free will. You get enticed. In other words, when you're enticed, the bad decision is your fault. You know, when a con come up with a whole stack of money and ain't nothing in there, but, but they're just showing you the top part that have the money on it and telling you what your money can do and you can have this stack too and ain't nothing up under the reel, but you enticed away because you saw just the top and they, they flipped it a little and you saw just a few bills and you enticed and you give them your money on your own free will, you just committed a crime against yourself. And that's just one example. You can be conned in more things than money. <laughs> Many women have been conned out of their underwear. Many men have been conned out of their pants. And it was a crime against your own self. Nobody's fault but your own. And it's all because you listened to something that you were not supposed to listen to. And I've learned this with my children living at home with me, and they're grown. But I'm saying this to those in churches out there and in this church. If you are of a certain age, listen to me. In this church, you ought not to be talking to anybody on the phone that you don't know personally.
said again, when you get to a certain age, you shouldn't be talking to anybody on the phone that you don't know personally. If you don't know them personally, listen, every senior in this ministry, every senior period should have an ID caller. A caller ID. They should, you should have it. And if you don't know the name that come up on it, don't answer it. Don't answer it. And listen, don't, don't trust yourself to be smart enough. Just don't answer it. Because there are people out there who are a lot smarter than you. And they will say enough on that phone, enough names and enough things that sounds familiar. Listen. And familiar to something that you know. And entice you to make a bad decision. Let me tell you, anything that comes in across on computer stuff, I check with my sons on everything. I don't have no lot to tell. See, we talk about young people being seduced and enticed and isolated, but they they're not blinded like some of us are as seniors. Because you can be blinded at all ages. But if you are a senior... You need to get some young person in your life and trust them and start running things by them because young people are sharp. My sons are sharp. When it comes to different stuff like that, I'm telling you, when, my, when, when, me and, when we went out of town, my sons was handling stuff. And I was sitting back looking at him. He was just handling stuff and just, just handling it this you know, just handling. I just feel like a child behind them because they were just handling stuff. They just handle stuff. And if something come up on my phone, I said, I call him. Isaac Isaiah, come here. This came up on my phone. Whatever. See, if something comes up, you know, they could tell you, no, that's nothing. Delete that from your phone. Instead of you saying, well, okay, they told me to put in my social security, the last four digits. You, you don't know. Mama, this don't sound right. This is not right. This don't look right. Let them tell you. Instead of saying, yeah, well, you know what? I always have taken care of myself. Hey, now that's the first sign that you're about to get conned. And see, some of you, like, some of y'all look at your faces out here, the ones that are here and stuff. You're young enough where you can still handle it. But you're going to get older. Uh, Sister Martin, I'm going to need Layla Sharp and Isaiah Sharp because I'm going to need them to be handling stuff for me. The older you get, you want them on point. Because you're going to still be trying to do things the old way. Because that's all you know. And you know, some things now, it's, it's almost 
Because the way society is, everything is electronic. Everything is there. And we don't want to do anything. Because, you know, Pastor Hill had to get me out of the flip phone. I was wanting to do the flip phone, phone until Jesus returned. Because I was like, that's what I'm used to. I don't need nothing else. I need. But you got to keep up. And sometimes it goes so fast, you can't keep up. You're too old to keep up. But you need somebody around you that can keep up. So they can help you out. Are you listening? Listen, God is not bringing young people in this church for us to help. He's bringing young people into this church to help us. I'm going to tell you that now. He said, I need you. You, you know what? Y'all need some young people to protect you. Because they know things you don't know. Sarah knows things I don't know. About the, I'm like, I don't have a clue what it what? I don't even know what that means. Well, let me just tell you what it means. You'd be like, wow. It lets you know how you have age. But you surround yourself with You let them learn. You let them know what's all going so they can keep you. So nobody gets to con you. And they don't have to be people that live in your house. That's why you have, you're up under covering in a church where you have people that you trust in and you can confide in and they can help you along and you can say, you can take them your phone and say, what does this mean? Or how can you get me on that? All these young people know how to work all that stuff. Just give it to them. Whenever somebody tell me something, I say, give it to, give it to Minister Aberhart. Give it to, I always, I tell them who to give it to because they know what they're doing. I don't. I know this, that I do know, but all this other stuff, I'll be like, well, who do we know? Who Find somebody to do it. If they call and they tell me this, that, and other, or the event committee, what should we do? I say, call somebody, call this person, call that person. They know. I don't. And I don't have no shame in my game saying I don't. I'm going to act my age. I'm going to act my age. So there's a lot of cons. But guess what? There's a lot of cons that go on right in the church. <laughs> and you know, it's just like there's people that want to con you out of money and material things, enticing words, and you know, there's people that want to con you away from your faith. Right in the church. Watch this. Oh, I wanted you all to go. I want you all to go back and read First Peter five and five. But when I was talking about you know people how to protect yourself and, and bringing people in, just write that down and you can go back and read it. You are tied together. But back to uh, Colossians two verse five. For though I be absent in the flesh. Yet am I with you in spirit, joying and beholding your uh, order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As we have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, 
as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. In other words, stay in what you've been taught and be thankful for what you've been taught. I have seen so many ungrateful people in my life, in ministry, people that I thought would just be grateful that you've been taught. Not because of a person, just taught by God. Ungrateful. Look at verse 8. Beware lest any man fall you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world, not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's saying, beware. There are all sorts of things out here. All sorts of wisdoms of this world. There's all sorts of ideas and ideals that dominate in this time that we live in. There's a dominant ideal right now in the world that has this generation that we're in, my generation and the generation that come, that's absolutely bound with self-gratification. It's a dominant idea we are selfish, self-centered, self-gratifying people. See, we need, to, we need to understand that. That is our weakness. We don't have roots. We don't stay in anything long enough to see it work. That's our weakness. It's a dominant ideal. I've got to run. I gotta start over. I gotta go to another church. I got. I, I don't stay at no job. I don't stay at a church. I don't just all over the place. I I, I want to buy a new house. I want a new car. I want just all over. Never stick to anything long enough. And the minute that something makes you happy, you're out. Ooh, that made me happy. I'm going to do that. I want to do this. It's a dominating ideal. And it's spoiling us. Our children, our grandchildren are not getting the benefits of stability. Why? Because you are not stabilized. Yourself. Why? Because we're spoiled. And anything that entices us, we chase it. We just chase after it. You get with friends, they entice you to do what they do. You chase after it until you get in as much trouble as they're in. We chase after it. And then it comes a time in life where you should be in the forefront of ministry. You should be, you should be teaching, but you're having to be taught again. You should be in the forefront doing things, but you're always catching up. Yeah, well, I didn't do this. Always catching up. I didn't get to do this. I didn't do that. I'm do, well, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to do this next year. I'm going to, uh, yeah, well, I said I'm going to. Always catching up. Now, we're perfected at making ourselves look polished on the outside. We're perfected at that. Oh, yeah, they're walking with God. See, we, we're perfected. We can make ourselves look polished and on point on the outside. 
and a wreck on the inside. A wreck on the inside. Why? It's that dominating ideal that's there. Not everybody. I, 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 I want to say that, but far too many. Not everybody. You can't get out of debt. You won't be able to retire. You can't even really seem to be happy with your spouse. Ah, oh, you play it up for everybody, but you can't really. I'm talking. See, I'm see. I'm talking about the unseen things. You can't really, really be happy with your spouse. Don't ever really seem to be able to be satisfied with it. Dominating ideals that's selfish and self-centered, and it's consuming us. Consuming us. And it comes from philosophies and vanity and all those things of this world. The emptiness, the nonsense that's being projected all around us. And guess what? We swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. We swallowed it. We grabbed a hold of it. We're operating in it and don't even know. Operating in morality and think I'm operating in righteousness. But God has shown you today there's a difference. And the reason there's a need to restore this generation is because we brought into things that, have, we, we done brought in things that have enticed us away from our responsibility to finish raising a generation. Reason there are so many young people between the ages of 18 and 30 that are hurting is because of our inability to become anchored as adults. Now that's just the truth. See, you want to hear truth, here's truth. There are some grown children, you have grandparents. And parents that's still praying for you. You still on their prayer list. Some grand got grandparents in their eighties, still, seventies, eighties, praying, keeping you. They almost it's almost time for them to go home to be with the Lord. And they still having to pray for you. It's just that dominating idea. Dominating ideals. And it keeps enticing. And watch this in closing. Write it down. This is the definition of the world. It can be defined as any time period, past, present, or future. It's any time period, past, present, or future. This is the world. You see in Hebrews 3 where it says that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That means that the times were framed. We saw it a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2 saying that we all walked in time past. According to the course of this world and in the ages to come might show forth that all of that was speaking. All of that that was in Ephesians is speaking of frames of time. It's speaking of the time frames that we were in. Remember, 
world is any time period, past, present, and future. Now listen, we have to understand about this span of time that we're in. We, ha- we need to know how to exist in these times. And the most important thing is to understand about the times, the ideas, and the spirit of the age. When I see it, I know it. When I recognize morality, when I recognize myself operating in morality, I check it. Because what I'm teaching is not something easily you can come out of when you have conformed to morality, even as a believer. And we have to remember in our heads and in our hearts that the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Where sin abounds, I mean where it's showing prevalent. Because see, we see it all over this world, all over the country. He said, but where sin abounds, there does grace much more abound. We operate in that grace. So you don't have to worry about the time that you live in. Why? Because of grace. What time you currently live in. What time you're going to live in in the future. You don't have to be worried about those things. It's because no matter what time that you find yourself living in, God is going to make sure that you have the grace to live in. No matter, he's going to make sure, no matter whether it's now or later, and I'm not talking about candy, I'm talking whether it's now or later, God is going to make sure you have the grace to live in it, no matter how bad it gets. One thing you have to stop looking for, you have to stop looking at the time and assuming people don't have grace. See, you don't, you, you don't have a, I guess we need to do a teaching on just grace. I'm going to have to just do it. It's our own grace. Because everybody, amazing grace. You know, we just kind of throw it around. But grace is what got you where you are. Grace is what saved you. Grace is what's going to keep you. Do you have to understand what's out there now? Grace is going to bring them in. Because a lot of times we look at things and we look at young people and what they're doing and how, and we base these times. And we base these things on the, I don't know if they're going to be able to make it. Where's grace? Stop saying that you don't, well, I don't know, things have changed so much. You know, they can't, I don't think they can make it. But God would not put a person in this time without grace. So they can make it. To live in this time. And just because time changed, it doesn't mean that the standard of God's Word changed. It doesn't matter that things change from day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year. God's grace have not changed. Stop being moral. See, that's morality. And you don't realize it. It's moral. Stop being moral. Stop saying that it's bad out there. Nothing we can do now. Mm, I know they're not living right, you know, but you know what? They're okay because, you know, it could be worse. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what the Bible says. That's your own morality talking. Yeah, well, you know, 
They are living in sin, but they got their education. Morality. You we, listen. You cannot give permission to sin. Listen, because sin is abounding. Because there's a lot of it going on, you can't just act like it's okay now. It's just so much of it. It's nothing we can do about it. What happened to grace? Don't give sin permission. Just because it's 2021 doesn't mean... Listen, just because it's 2021 doesn't... It doesn't mean that virginity is still is going away. Oh, nobody's a virgin in 2021. Just because long since you've been a virgin don't mean that it's still it, it, it's not in existence. It doesn't mean that holiness has gone away. It doesn't mean that righteousness has gone away because you're no longer a virgin. There are still virgins in 2021. It doesn't mean in 2021 that a man can't keep himself. Until he finds a woman. Or a woman can't keep herself until her husband finds her. It doesn't mean that because it's 2021. You just got to recognize them when they come to find you. Don't shut the door on them. Because remember, you got an enemy. He'll make sure somebody finds you that you, you will open the door on. See? Just because times are different doesn't mean that God has thrown the Bible away and he don't want you throwing it away. Did you hear me? It doesn't mean that a husband and wife can't stay married. You can. You can. It doesn't mean that children cannot be brought up in the nurture and admonition of God. They can. Ugh. Yeah, I don't even do that no more because it's just too much. No, you, the times have changed. See, morality sees you live in a certain way. And see, morality will do this to your child. They see you live in a certain you see your children live in a certain way, and then you don't expect your children to live differently. And you don't expect them to live differently from the mistakes that you made. That's morality. You know, it's not to say, you know, you know, I need to come up with something, you know, you need to come up with something different. To, or, uh, you know, I, I, I need to, you know, change and I need to let them know that, you know, that, that you know, they, they can make mistakes and, and, you know, and I made mistakes. So, you know, they can make mistakes and, and, and I understand that I'm not going to try to try to go any further with them because they, no. Grace doesn't say that. Grace say I expect something different of you. Yeah, I did make the mistake, but I expect something different of you. Instead of saying, I knew that was going to happen. Oh, I knew it was coming from me. Oh, yeah, well, that's all a part of life. That's going to happen. I'm bracing myself because my children are going to be the worst because I was the worst. Well, grace in the Bible doesn't say that. Not at all. 
Grace says, expect something different of them. Put something different in them. Just because you sin doesn't mean that your child is supposed to just be a sinner. Ah, I messed up. Now nah, there ain't no hope for my child. Where is God? Where is, that's morality. You have to teach your children to be more excellent. Dad blew it. Mom blew it. But you won't. You tell them that. You won't blow it. You won't. Why? Because I've learned something now. And I'm putting it in you. And I'm not going to deny what I've learned from you. So you don't have to go through what I've gone through. God's mercy and His grace is everlasting. And then you speak to Him. You're going to walk in the blessings through righteousness. See, it ain't just automatic. You're going to walk in the blessings through righteousness. So you got to be righteous. i got to teach you righteousness. See, that gets you out of morality. Morals. That's against the word of God, opposed to God, rebellious to God, and hostile to God, and all the time seeming lovely. I'm just being loving. I'm being kind. I'm being, it's hostile. And it's the enemy the way to get you in the hell. It's the enemy's way to that so they can say at your funeral what a nice person you were and how good you were and rest in it. You know, saying somebody rest in heaven, rest in peace, don't make it so. Well, I knew they believe in God. Well, I never knew it because they didn't walk like they believed in God. I, people just think I can, they can say they believed in God, they can say they confess God and go live any kind of way and say they saved. Oh, how shocked we're going to be in heaven. All because we were rocking around with that morality and with those morals that we thought was, was I was staying out of their business. I was just stepping back and doing that. And you let, you let them go in here and your, their blood is on your hands. So you are being hostile, rebellious, and all against and opposed to the Word of God if you don't stand up and be a witness and a light. And then you, I hope you all remember, know the difference between righteousness and morality. Morality will always, always come against righteousness. Always. That's one way you know it. And they'll come against it in such a nice way you would think that it was almost right. It'll be something like, well, I know what you believe in, and I know you love God, and I know that's, that's there, but just let me do me, and when my time comes, what the? Morality. The stealer of life. The, the, the thief of eternal life for many. I was listening to the minister this morning and I was seeing what he was saying about the, the Lazarus. And I'm telling you, it, all of that, it, it just showed you. I'm like, there were nothing but a bunch of morals, but it didn't get you what you needed. And then you, then you, want, you want to try to beg God at the end. That's nothing. Are you going to say this and you're going to say that? It won't work. So now is the time to get it right. 
Because once you have taken your last breath, there's no do-overs. I wish I woulda, shoulda, coulda. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.